I want Shark Tank for the inventions, or as they say, the new mousetrap, right, that can solve an everyday problem in a new and exciting way. And I am proud to admit that in our master bathroom is a squatty potty. If you don't know what a squatty potty is, I'm sure Ethan's going to throw it right up on the screen. I didn't do a real shot. I thought the, uh, this would be a better version. Uh, so uh, we, you know, if I ever went to Boston, I'd want to try some wicked good cupcakes, right? Like, I own a scrub daddy, and I don't really know what it does, but I had to get it because Shark Tank's told me to. Shark Tank is awesome, but I watch for the inventions. Carlin watches for the stories, right, of the 12-year-old kid that is, and you can take Squatty Potty off now. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I was distracted. I know everybody else was. Uh, she watches for the stories of the 12-year-old who has been bullied, but kind of finds this new way and is helping others to stop experiencing what he's experienced. Or the immigrant who moves over and she invests everything in this idea, gives everything she has, and you see that it is a success. And we love those stories, right? The rags to riches. Hollywood pulls us in with those all the time. It's why we're so happy for the street rat Aladdin to get into the palace and meet Jasmine and to live happily ever after or why we can't turn away or stop from shedding a tear when Blindside comes on, right? Like, we just have to watch it over and over again. Remember the Titans, whatever it is, those rags-to-riches stories are what draws us in. Why? Because we like to see fortunes change, situations change, lives change. Today we're going to look at a story where that happens. Judges chapter 6 is going to be our primary text, and we're going to kind of tell the whole story of this man named Gideon. Judges chapter 6, though, what do we hear? That Israel, the people of Israel, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And as a result, the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. Because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and caves and the strongholds. For whenever Israel planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them, devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza, leave no sustenance in Israel, no sheep, no ox, no donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number, both them and their camels you could not number. And they laid waste to the land when they came in. We're going to stop there for a second. Last week, we talked about how God has given these people the land. His people, the Israelite people, are now in the promised land. They are living with crops that they didn't plant. They are living in cities that they did not build. And yet, this is what God has given them and poured out to them over and over again. They, they have tons and tons of fruitfulness. But even though they committed to marrying God, they did not live faithfully with him, and in their infidelity they abandoned him. Verse 1 of chapter 6 is very clear. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They did not persevere in their love, and instead, it'll say in Judges chapter 2, that they hoard after other gods. See, God sees how his people lives, and he gives them freedom of choice to live as they desire. What he doesn't give is freedom of consequence. God watches his people abandon him. And so for seven years, the people of Midian oppress the people of God. The Israelites are living under oppression. 
And I wanted you to think back for a second to where you were seven years ago. It feels like a lifetime ago, right? So I've got a few pictures. I think they're going to come up on the screen here in a second. So this was Carlin and I in 2013. Carlin looks pretty much the same. I should probably get those glasses back, right? Um, next, we have a few. We're going to go quickly through those. That would be Miss Tyler Batts right there, uh, taking that Claire selfie. Hondro, we love you, Hondro. All right, keep going. That's Asher, our worship leader for the day. Um, keep going, Scout's Honor. That's Josh Protein. So uh, you don't mess with him in seventh grade. Cameron, wow, that was a good one. Uh, and there are the Dennis girls, way to go. All right, do we have any more? Oh, this was like the best one. Like, this is his photo shoot, right? Like, I mean... That's Cooper May right there. I mean, I would take that today, Cooper. Uh, he just like work it, uh, right? Like, no, we. If you think back, 2013. That's a long time ago. We have lived in three cities. Carlin's worked for four different school systems. Not because she's ever been fired, but because we've just moved a lot. We we never dreamed of living in Texas, and now we've lived here for four years. Everything has changed so drastically, and then to think that you're all wearing masks, right? Like, so much has changed in seven years, but for seven years, the people of Israel are bullied and oppressed. Seven years of terribleness. Seven years. That is as long as you were in middle school and high school. Seven years they have experienced this. God is allowing this to happen to them, but then see what happens in verse 6. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. Now we're going to stop there for a second. The people cry out. It took seven years for them to ask God for help. Seven years to reach out to the God that put them in this land to cry out for help. Why? Have they gotten so used to the terribleness of this world that they just accepted it as what it is? Have we gotten so used to division and brokenness and evil and sin ruling and reigning among us that we don't even think to cry out to God for help, but we just say this is how life is supposed to be? Have we forgotten that God creates good, but we live in something far from it, and we just swallow it like that's life? Have we failed to reach out to God, to cry out to Him, to redeem, to restore, to reconcile, because we just go, well, this is just how you're supposed to live? We look at Midian, I mean, we look at Israel and go, why did you wait seven years? But I look at us and go, why have we waited however many years, to allow judgment based on color of skin, to allow liberties to be taken from some people just because of where they're born, to allow poverty just to be, well, that's what you were born into, I'm sorry. How long have we just accepted that this is the way America works, that this is the way the world is, that this is the way that families are broken? Have we just accepted that evilness is going to rule and reign, or do we call out to God to redeem, to reconcile, to restore to what is good? I think we just sit and accept. Israel did. But then they cry out. Notice they didn't repent 
of doing evil things. Instead, they just cry out and say, God, help. God, change something. God, do something different. We're not going to change what we're doing, but we're asking you to do something different than what you're doing. This is the cycle of judges. See, the people do what is right in their own eyes. It gets really, really terrible after a long time. They cry out to God. God answers their cries. He redeems and reconciles and makes a difference in their lives. But do you know what happens the second that everything is restored? They return back to living how they were. And it is a cycle of sin crying out redemption. Sin crying out redemption. They only cry out to God when they need Him. Luckily, that's not said of us. They cry out for help, not for repentance, not because they're willing to change. God, bad things are happening. You need to work. We don't really need to do anything different. How often do you desire God to do something without desiring to repent of what you've been doing? How often do you desire God to do something different when you're not willing to do anything different? They cry out because they want help, not because they want God's will. They want to report to God the terrible things happening, not repent of the terrible things they have done. See, I think that they're asking not to turn their ways, but for God to turn the situation away from them. They are crying out due to inconvenience, not out of repentance. How often is that said of us? Now, we've got to continue on because if not, I could sit there all day. We're going to go fast through this guy named Gideon. Gideon shows up in verse 12 of chapter 6. An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty man of valor. And then verse 13, listen to what Gideon says. Talking to this messenger of God. If the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? Where's God? Why is this Existing. Why is evil happening if God is good, right? We know these questions. Where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us? Did he not bring us out of Egypt, but now he has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian? How often have we cried that out? God, if you're good, where are you now? Why are you allowing this? It's funny, the messenger, verse 14, doesn't really even address his question. Instead, he says, go in your might and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? Gideon changes his tactic, 15. All right, so you didn't listen to me, but I'm just going to power through this. How can I be the one that saves Israel? I'm the weakest, from the weakest clan and the lowest in my father's house. I'm the last pick, the last one you want to use. Nobody's going to follow me. Nobody's going to listen to me. I don't have skill enough. I'm not a general. I haven't been trained this way. I am the last one you should use. I have no chance. In Act 1 of Gideon's life, I want you to understand it this way. He says that this, I am not able... And I'm really not sure God is either. I am not able to do what you're asking, and I'm not even sure if you are. I'm not convinced that you are either. Gideon will ask God to prove himself by doing a sign. God does the sign he requests. And so Gideon says, well, I'll try the first mission you send me on. He goes out in verse 27, and it says this. So Gideon took ten of his men and his servants, and he did as the Lord told him. Good job, Gideon. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. See, in Act 1 of Gideon's life, he lives from fear, not from faith. Terrified of what will happen, what could happen, what might happen. And so he doesn't want to live fully in faith, and instead he holds back and he worries and he wonders, 
is this, what is this going to happen if I follow you? Gideon knows that Midian's not defeated by him just doing this first act. He was tearing down some uh, false worship poles. So he says, God, I'm going to need another sign. So he says in verses 36 through 40, I'm just going to paraphrase. He says, all right, here's what I need you to do. When I wake up in the morning, I need my doormat wet, but I need the ground dry. He goes to sleep, he wakes up, the doormat's wet, the ground is dry. And then Gideon, I think, has a moment of like, crap, did I not think about this right? Like, is that how it always is? Like, every morning is the mat wet and the ground dry, and so I need to flip it to make sure that God is God and that He's being real and truthful and honest and He's powerful. So he goes, God, I'm going to ask one more time. This time I want the mat dry, I want the ground wet, and then I'll see if I can trust you. He wakes up, mat dry, ground wet. Uh, Gideon says, all right, I'll trust you. Act two of Gideon is faith. He says this, he says, I am convinced, hang on, how do I write it? You are able and I will trust you. You are able and I will trust you. So Gideon goes into a battle. Chapter 7, we see this beginning to take place, but God has some um, things he needs to do first. He says, Gideon, I see your army. You have 32,000 men ready to go up against this army that's going to be 135,000 men. Okay? You're greatly outnumbered. So God starts doing a battle strategy. He says, the people with you are too many. Hmm to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel will boast over me, saying, My own hand saved me. So, he says, Proclaim in the ears of the people, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return to his home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. The army goes from 32,000 to 10,000. That moment. We're about to go to battle. Gideon's terrified. He's the least, he's the lowest, he's the worst. He's now going to battle, and his army just lost two-thirds of the men in an already overmatched setting. Okay. Verses 4 through 7. The people are still too many. Are you kidding me? Take them down to the water, and I'm going to paraphrase this really quickly. God says, however people drink, is I'm going to start separating them. If anybody puts their face in the water and just kind of does this, we're not going to use them, but if anybody gets on their knee and pulls the water to their mouth, I'm going to keep them. You know how many of the 10,000 did that? 300. Now we have Gideon leading an army of 300 men to go into battle against 135,000 men. Gideon knows, you are able, I will trust you. 719 through 821 is the story of the battle. You can read that in your own time. It's interesting stuff. Cool battle strategy. You should check it out. It ends with the killing of the kings. And in this last effort there towards 821, the bully has been defeated. The evil empire has fallen. Everything is back to how it should be. And that brings me to the final act of Gideon. Let's read in 8.22. I know we're jumping through a lot of story today, but I promise you there's a reason. 8.22, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your sons and your grandsons also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. What are they doing? We want to establish the Windsor, the Tudor line, like with you. We want you to be our king. We want you to reign over us, but not just you. We want your lineage. We trust that your family is knowledgeable and able and ready to lead us. We are putting all of our faith in you, Gideon. What does Gideon say? 23. Gideon says to them, 
I will not rule over you and my sons will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon, great answer, buddy. Yes, God is the king of Israel. God is the ruler of Israel. God is the one that we should trust to lead Israel. Not some man, especially not this guy that was struggling just two chapters ago. No way are we going to put all of our faith in him. Let's put all of our faith in the all-powerful one. Let's trust him. But then watch what Gideon does. Verse 24, let me make a request of you, though. Every one of you give me the the earrings from his spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. What does that mean? All the guys they just killed, they took their earrings because it was gold. When they throw this onto the cloak, it says, yeah, we'll give this to you, verse 25. They threw all the earrings over the spoil, and the weight of these earrings was 1,700 shekels, which is about 43 pounds, so a cooper and a half of gold. And there were also ornaments and pendants and garments and these things around the camel's necks. And we're going to stop there. Gideon says, no, I'm not going to take the role of king, but I love the reward. No, I'm not going to step into the responsibility of leading Israel, but I'll take the royal treasure. Yeah, I'm not going to take the position, but please give me the perks. If there was ever an appropriate time to use the Drake meme in church, here it is. Throw it up there. See, I mean, like, this is it. Bree, I know you appreciated that right there. All right. All right, you can take that off now. (laughs) But watch what he does. Verse 27, this is what we're going to end with. And Gideon made an ephod of it. He put it in his city, in Orphrah, and all of Israel whored after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. The story of Gideon on the surface looks rags to riches, doesn't it? I am the lowest, I am the least. God, you're going to have to do this. I trust you. You are able. I will go and win a victory of 300 versus 135,000 because I trust you. On the surface, everything is great. He now has this great reward. He's got this great treasure. He is living fat and happy, and everything is good for Gideon. But his spirituality is not a rags-to-riches story. I think it's a rags-to-riches-to-rags story. These are the stories we hate. This is why Carlin doesn't let me pick movies anymore, because it doesn't end well. These are the stories of the person from poverty to win the lottery that returns to poverty. These are the person that gets off an addiction to only to become healthy and happy and leading people that falls back into it. This rags to riches to rags is a terrible setup. We hate these stories. Gideon moves from I am not able to you are able to I am able. Gideon moves from, I'm not sure if I can trust you, I trust you completely, to I don't need you anymore. Gideon moves to dependency on self, not on God. But isn't this our temptation constantly? We're so nervous about that first test, so we study, study, study. We ace it, and we don't study the rest of that time, and then we make a C in the class. See, we we pray, God, I need you to show me my major. I need you to show me what I'm supposed to do with my life. And then the second he answers that, we decide what jobs we're going to take. We decide what we should pursue. We decide how we're going to do it. 
we move from trusting God to now believing we can handle it. We say, God, will you send me godly friends, but then we don't trust him in those friendships, and so we're uh, catty, and we are competitive, and we're ungodly over and over and over again. We move from dependency on God to an independent status. And it's hard because that's what the world calls us to do. Your parents want you to be financially independent. Your parents want you to be, you know, with a job, with a house, with a car, with the ability to take care of yourself. But when we carry that over into our own spirituality, we're missing what God is desiring of us. He's a father that wants us to stay on the bankroll the rest of the time. I fear too many of our stories look like Gideon. From sinner to son to self-righteous. How many of us desire, I said it last week, Christ for our past, but we desire to live a Christless Christianity the rest of the way? We need grace for that, but now I'll take it from here, God. We think we can be good enough. It's natural, but it's not biblical. It's worldly, but it's not godly. So may we not accept the terribleness around us as God's intention for our world. May we repent as we cry out for His help. May we move from fear to faith and not move away from faith. May we always hold to God as our King. I'll end with this. i got one minute. This is just off the cuff, so we'll see if it makes sense. I don't know. Okay, so if, if you and I went to a batting cage... Who in here would say, I am the worst baseball player, like there's no way I would ever hit a baseball? Okay. All right, so you and I are together, okay? We go to the batting cage, and we turn it on 75 miles an hour, all right, because we want to dominate 12-year-old pitching. So we get up there, and I swing and miss 10 straight times. You get up there. I'm, I leave frustrated, right? I'm upset, disappointed. I should have been able to do this. You leave. You get up there. You swing and miss 10 times. You're like, okay, whatever. No big deal. I didn't expect to hit it. But then somebody steps in and says, hey, can I hit it for you? Can I do this? The person who understands that they're not good enough, they say, yeah, hop in the cage and hit it for me. Please. I'm never going to be able to do this on my own. But Gideon and you and I look to Jesus who says, hey, I want to come and hit this for you. And we say, give me a few more balls to try. Give me a few more swings because I think I can do it next time. Give me a few more opportunities because I think if I work hard enough, if I try hard enough, if I give it my all, I will get better and I can deserve it. I can earn it. I will be good enough. Instead of accepting grace, we are so tempted to earn it. Instead of trusting God, we go, okay, okay, you help me on that part. I will take it from here. May we repent of that. Call it what it is. Self-righteousness, sin, 
arrogance. May we be able to lay down our pride and say, Jesus, I am saved in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. And I don't need any Jordan part of that. I'm going to pray. And we have a few questions I want you just to discuss with some of the people around you. Dear Lord, I pray that right now or five years from now or 20 years from now that the story of Gideon is not our story. That we don't move from sinner to son to self-righteous. That we stop and you are able and I trust you. That our faith never moves from in you to ourselves. Lord, help us. The temptation is great. Help us to know our identity in you is enough. Lord, I pray as we discuss these few questions that you pierce hearts, that you open up uh, honest dialogue, and that you reveal places that we have kept hidden for too long. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.